This podcast is part of the Podbelly Network. Please visit podbelly.com to see a complete listing of all of our other shows. It's about to be a fun ride. Follow along, watch as we slide. Paranormal just hit the lights. Goosebumps all through the night. Mixing just a little bit of twain. That girl sure can't do a thing. Together, hillbillies go insane. Laugh so hard it'll hurt your brain. Podcast you won't ever change. These two here, they got the recipe. Sat on back and listen in to some of our darkest mysteries, eh? Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. And now here's your host. Jerry and Tracy Polly and their dog Ninja. Hey, Jerry, I'm so excited our podcast because I want to know and Hibbly Horror Stories are doing a live event together in the Dallas area. Yep, Saturday, October 16th. It's going to be so much fun. Dude, you just completely ignored the fact that Mysterious Circumstances and Hillbilly Horror Stories have a live event the night before in Galveston, Texas. I did not. As a matter of fact, Justin, I was just going to bring up the Galveston show on Friday, October 15th. Jerry, why are you doing a commercial with Justin? Once again, you have given him special treatment over me. Besides, we have a special private dinner show in Memphis on that Tuesday, October 12th. Tracy, I would never give anyone preferential treatment over you. Of course you wouldn't. Thank you, Justin. Um, hello. Leslie Fear over here. Now everyone's ignoring me. Enough. Get your tickets and more information at hillbillyhorrorstories.com. We will see you there unless we kill each other first. Hey guys, welcome to episode 259 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I'm Jerry. And I'm Tracy. Well, guys... Happy 4th of July, yo. <laughs> I was waiting for you. I knew you were excited oh. about the 4th of July. Yeah. Happy right. birthday, America. As usual, we want to thank all of our military and civil servants all over the world, no matter which country you represent. It's days like today on Independence Day when we really look back and see that all the freedoms that we have, thanks to uh, all of you fine people and service animals. Yes. God bless you guys, and thank you for keeping us safe. Tracy, we have a fun show tonight, and we have a special interview at the end from the 502 crew. It's a mostly female paranormal group out of Louisville. Mm-hmm. So they tell us some pretty cool stories and some some uh, things that got them into it, some hauntings in their house and stuff like that. Very cool. Can't wait to hear. Obviously, we are all have time, but we struggle. It's a tough time mentally. There's a lot of uh, horrible stuff in the news every time you turn it on, like especially with the, the collapse of the uh, condos in Miami. There's still stories coming out of that. It's up to like 24 people dead and still over 100 people missing. And uh, it's just the out the onset of something like that just makes you realize that life is fragile. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, with that, it, our minds are fragile, and sometimes it can bring you to a breaking point. And we just want to let people know that, you know, if you're at that point that you've got somebody you can talk to, you can give us a call, you can send us messages, you can write into our group. But more importantly, just know that we're here for you. Yes, please reach out to us. You know, and like I said, if you just need somebody to talk to, we're always here to listen. If you would rather call, the suicide hotline number is 800-273-8255. You can also text them at 741-741. Before we get into uh, some of the other stuff, we wanted to also ask for a prayer request. We have uh, my ex-wife's father-in-law, which we brought up last week on the show, Mm -hmm. ironically enough, the gentleman, Glenn, who lives in uh, Claremont, same city as the story we did. He actually was rushed to the hospital uh, unresponsive a couple of days ago. It was looking very bleak. It's looking a little more positive now. But if you could just send out a little special thoughts or positive vibes, prayers, or whatever you're into... We would greatly appreciate it. Yeah, please do that. We appreciate it. As usual, this episode is brought to you by El Yucateco Hot Sauce, the number one habanero-based hot sauce in the United States. Top 10 in all hot sauces of any kind. Doesn't matter what it's made out of. Chupacabra juice, whatever. Tar. Tar. Feathers. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) We love us some El Yucateco. Matter of fact, uh, Kristen yesterday had some ramen noodles. I had her put some of the chipotle in there. Yes. It made it uh, actually edible. It, uh, man, Whew, that was stuff was spicy. I had a bite of it. My butthole's burning. Oh, heck. No, it's really good. <laughs> but anyway, you can get El Yucateco at most major grocers. 
They are hashtag king of flavor because they are king of flavor. They it's are just that, that simple. And if you can't find it at your grocery, you can get it at com. You can get hot sauce. You can get apparel. It does come in seven different flavors. Not the apparel, the hot sauce. <laughs> I've never tasted the apparel. It no. may come in more flavors than that. I tried to chew on the hat once. <laughs> then I had to add some more hot sauce to it. <laughs> but anyway, go to El Yucateco, order whatever you want, put in Hillbilly Horror, you get 10% off your total purchase. All right. Tracy, a while back, we did some stories of Colonial Williamsburg. Mm -hmm. And did some hauntings and stuff. And I said we were going to do a part two because there's so many different places out there. And tonight is part two. All right. Let's do it. Now, as we covered in the first episode, a bunch of the Colonial Williamsburg history and stuff, uh, you know, especially that area in general, we're not going to go into that. So I would highly advise if anybody missed that episode to go back and listen. And you can actually hear some pretty cool stuff about the history of Williamsburg and Colonial Williamsburg because they are two different things. Williamsburg is a city. Colonial Williamsburg is a section of the city that is uh, all renovated 1700s, early 1800 homes. And it's a living museum where you can actually pay the price. You walk in, walk all around the place, and then they have people dressed in uh, costumes at the time and all that. And just kind of, so it's like you step back in time, actually. In order for Colonial Williamsburg, the section of the town, to happen, the city had to actually buy all of these houses from people who lived there so they could renovate them. How? Oh. And most of these people were willing to sell their homes, but others, not so much. Our first story tonight is about one of these homeowners. Not the not so much one? The not so much. Okay. The Armisteads were one of Virginia's very first families. William Armistead, he came to the colony in 1635, and by 1651, he owned 1,213 acres of land. Dang. Needless to say, this made him a very wealthy man at the time. Oh, Land ownership was everything. Mm -hmm. So the family was able to accumulate some great wealth, and they passed this wealth along generation after generation. But like several families, they saw that come to a crash and halt during the Civil War. This is because the Union Army came in and confiscated the family's money and property. Well, that sucks. It does. This left Carrie Peyton Armstead, who was the family heir at the time, broken homeless. Carrie was a very determined man, though, and he found a way to persevere. And in 1889, he had saved enough money to buy a one-and-a-half-story house right next to the public records office in Williamsburg. But he got screwed in the deal because he found out after that he the purchase had went through that the house was infested by termites and was virtually ready to collapse at any time. Two years later... Where was that terrible home inspector at the time? Right. <laughs> Two years later, Carrie had that house torn down, which, by the way, used to be, at one point in time, a tavern and a coffee house. It's the only thing about them having coffee houses back in the, you know, 1800s. I yeah. don't think about that being a relatively new thing, but I guess not. I guess, but, well, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't have thought they'd have those back in that day. So he, he builds this new house right on top of that foundation. It was a beautiful three-story, 12-room Victorian house. And the new home had a fireplace in every single room. Nice. Much of them with French marble mantles. Whoa. So for somebody who got screwed on a deal two years earlier, he did pretty well to come up with enough money. He ain't playing. He is, he is a go-getter. This thing had a really long covered porch. It had tall ceilings throughout the house to keep the rooms uh, cooler during the summertime. And the porch that I talked about, it wrapped all the way around to the side of the house where Carrie had his law office. Guess we know how he made his money. Screwing other people. There you go. <laughs> Touche. Carrie and his wife, Endora, would have five children in this house. Unfortunately, Carrie Armstead died in 1901. And when he did, he left his family in a financial bind. Of course, we know the men were the breadwinners back then. Yeah. So a lot of times women end up having to go to the poor house or whatever the situation was. That was not the situation here. And Dora was forced, though, to take on a job at the public hospital to support her family. Her oldest son passed away when he was just 20 years old. Why did he pass away? I have no idea. I didn't see that in any of the research. That's sad. And to be honest, unlike his gravedigger, I didn't dig any deeper. <laughs> and Dora was a lot like her husband. She was a fighter, and she was able to come up with enough money to put all four other children through college. The two males became lawyers and the two females became teachers. Alrighty. 
All four children lived at the Armistead house most of their adult lives. When Colonial Williamsburg was acquiring homes in the area and Dora refused to sell, no matter how much money they offered her. Eventually, she would be the only resident left to keep their property. That's some uh, fortitude there. Mm-hmm. She was concerned that if she sold the house that it would more than likely be torn down and replaced by a 17th century style home that they were doing for that area. For the most part, she was right. The house was in a more modern style than the other homes in the area, and it probably would have been replaced. And Dora and her two sons would eventually die, leaving the two daughters, Kara and Dora, the house. They continued to live there, and to bring in extra money, they turned the home into an inn. They ran this lodge house until they were too old to do it any longer. Now, Dora really liked the whole quaint feeling of Williamsburg and and the area itself. It just was, you know, nice and quiet and peaceful to her. Mm -hmm. But in the 1950s and the 1960s, this changed with the remodeling and the tourists that were coming to town. Carol liked all the tourists because, to her, this was business for the inn. So Mm -hmm. it made sense. Dora was aggravated by it, though. And in 1979, Kara died, leaving Dora all alone in the house. She continued to live in the home until 1984, when she died at the grand old age of 93. So none of those kids married? I don't know if they married or not, but if, even if they did, they stayed in the house. They all stayed in the house. It didn't sound like Kara and Dora yeah, married. Right. I don't know about the sons, though. Mm-hmm. After Dora's death, the Association for the Preservation of Virginia bought the house, and they turned it into a museum. Now, I know everybody is like, uh, when the heck are we going to talk about some ghosts and stuff? Because we've got all this history in there, and we're to that point. Here we are. All right. Buckle up. Ghost it up. So after the house was bought, it stayed unoccupied for a while. That's when people would notice that from one day to the next, sometime during the night, the curtains in Dora's second floor bedroom would shift from one side to the other. To many, this was proof that Dora's, I guess, feisty spirit, we'll say, still remained in the home. Now remember that Dora did not like the crowds of the tourists. With that being said, you can imagine that she wouldn't like what was going to happen next. In 1995, Colonial Williamsburg leased the property and they had the house moved from its location at Duke of Gloucester Street to North Henry Street smack dab in the middle of the tourist section. That just amazes me how they just move a house. (laughs) Elaine Barrett said that she was passing the house one day and she noticed a crowd of people in front of the house. They were all kind of looking excitedly up at the empty building. So she stopped to look as well. She wanted to see what was going on. She noticed that the curtains in Dora's bedroom were blowing furiously. Even though it was a calm day outside, no wind, all the windows and the doors were closed, and also there was no electricity. There was no electrical lines even ran to the house. Mm. So that meant that there couldn't be a fan or a heater or anything like that going on. Elaine said that since that day, she has made it a habit to walk past this house every few days. One day the curtains are pulled to the left, and the other day the curtains are pulled to the right. And during this whole time, the building was still unoccupied and no electricity. That's crazy. So something's going on. Yeah, something's up. Another woman by the name of Tracy Chamberlain said that she was in town for an event that was going on. I guess they do a uh, like a light-up yeah. event for Christmas. So oh, everything's that's fun. really mm-hmm. cool. She was in town for this event. Her and her husband were walking by this house, and she knew nothing about the house. She just said that she had a really eerie feeling and she asked her husband to, to switch sides with her because she didn't want to be on that side of the house. Oh. She said there's very few houses in Colonial Williamsburg that she wouldn't live in, but the Armstead house was definitely one of them. So apparently even in death, Dora is letting tourists know that she isn't real fond of them being near, near her house. Oh, wow. That's kind of weird to get a eerie feeling, especially at Christmas time, you know? Yeah, you would think. This next story has kind of an Armistead connection. The Rowley Tavern was one of the most popular taverns in all of Virginia in the 18th century. It was built in 1717, and it was the place 
in that area to gather. It started off as a small pub, and it was only half the size of what it presently is, but as business increased, so did the size. Many additions were built on as the years went on. Businessmen, townspeople, and politicians came to the tavern to catch up on gossip and current events. Goods were sold out on the steps. Lectures and auctions were held on the inside. And it also had its fair share of gambling on the inside. Virginians in the 1800s apparently loved to gamble, and plenty went on inside the Raleigh Tavern. We know this because of the number of dice and dice boxes that were discovered during excavation of the property. <laughs> Other forms of gambling that included billiards and even checkers. Ooh. I could imagine betting on checkers. Hardcore. How do you get good at checkers? Checkers seems like something that by the time you're like seven, you've mastered. <laughs> There's only know. so much. It's not like chess. There's only so much you can do with it. The morning after John Curtis, who was a local butcher, ran up a heavy gambling debt, he was found dead with his throat slashed, and it was ruled a suicide. Okay, yeah. It could be. You could slash your own throat. I guess you could. Many important decisions were made inside this building that concerned a revolutionary revolt against the British. When the governor dissolved the House of Burgesses in 1769 and again in 1774, for disrespectful talk, by the way. Oh, snap. Banned for disrespectful talk. Oh. I couldn't imagine them watching, like, the Review or Congress today and some of No, no, it would be uh, a whole entire <laughs> war. But when he did that, Thomas Jefferson, Patrick Henry, and George Washington, amongst others, started having their meetings at the Raleigh Tavern. So some pretty important people mm -hmm. ironing some stuff out. Some of the Revolutionary War strategies, including the siege of Yorktown, was worked out at the tavern. So the tavern wasn't just a place for politics and gambling. They held some huge galas there. During public times, which was when the courts were in session, and a lot of people don't realize that, courts weren't always in session. Like, today you could go to the courthouse any day of the week, practically, and there's something, something going, going on. on. <clears throat> they would only have court like one day a month in, in a lot of these places, back in around the 1700s, 1800s. And it was like a big deal. That's when they had their public executions. That's when they had big parties and festivals in the streets. So like when you came to court, well, for example, like here in Mount, is it Mount Sterling, they have court days. Uh -huh. That's the reason they have festivals is because that's the way it was in the old days. Yeah. So when you came to, everybody came to court at the one period and they had vendors outside selling the stuff and corn dogs and funnel cakes. Mm -hmm. They might not have had corn dogs, but you know what I mean? It was like a fair type atmosphere when court was going on. So that same thing happened here during the court sessions. The tavern would have, hold these grand balls for the socially elite. One time, dozens of George Washington's friends threw him a birthday party, a surprise birthday party, in the infamous Apollo Room. Nice. In 1776, Patrick Henry was honored by the Virginia troops for his efforts on behalf of the Revolution. He was given a parade and a night of fun at the Raleigh Tavern. So, yeah, this was like a big deal to everybody in the area. There was always laughter and drinks coming from the Raleigh Tavern on almost every single night back then. Now, this continued on for more than a century before the rallies. Popularity started to kind of dwindle a little bit. One of its last big events was in 1824. The Marquis de Lafayette visited Williamsburg, and a huge banquet was held at the tavern for his honor. It's said that even though he was 67 years old, he was quite the partier. <laughs> well, good for him. After this, uh, big-time events kind of ceased to exist as far as the, the rally was concerned. And in December 1859, the historic tavern burned down. Oh, there it, went the party. It was rebuilt in 1929 through 1932 on the original foundation to look exactly like it did in its heyday. So they rebuilt it according to specs. It definitely has that colonial look. It's pretty cool. It's a, a big, long, wooden building. It's got that Amityville shape to it, but mm -hmm. longer. And it's got seven windows all in a straight line on top on the second floor. And on the lower level, it's got the front doors. And then you have three windows on each side with dark shutters. It's pretty cool. Inside, as you walk in the front door, there's a bust of Sir Walter Raleigh, who the tavern was named after. Now, I told you there was going to be an Armistead connection, and this is it. Three years before the fire burned it down. There was a man by the name of Samuel Armstead, and you got to believe that this has to be a relative. It's a small town. Yeah. There can't be that many Armsteads running around yeah. town without there being relatives of some sort. 
So he says, he writes a letter to his friend and he talks about a haunting experience that he had there at the tavern. He said it was a, it was in January. He was walking his dog. It was a really cold night. Keep in mind, the, even though the place hadn't burnt down, there really hadn't been anything going on there. So it's just been vacant for the most part. He said he hears some music coming from the tavern. He decides, you know, to check it out, thinking, you know, hey, there hadn't been anything going on for a long time. It looks like it's dark over there. Yeah. But yet I hear all this music and stuff going on. So I'm going to walk over and check it out. He goes closer to the building. He hears laughter and music. And as he gets really close to the building, he could smell pipe tobacco. So he goes to one of the windows that he can see a little bit in through because of a dim street light. And the building's completely empty. So to him, he was like, this is freaky. And he just let it go. And then this letter was discovered years later talking about that. So this kind of makes sense when you think about it, though, because this isn't the original building, but it is the original foundation and and the location where it's at. But what if I told you that a custodian at Colonial Williamsburg had a very similar experience 130 years later with the new building? Wow. Dan Arnold said that he was working behind the Riley Tavern one night. It was his job to clean up from all the tours and everything. So they go through it at the end of the night like you would in an amusement park and clean everything up. He said he heard noise coming from inside. He figured that someone had broken in, so he went to check it out. As he got closer, he could hear music. But it wasn't like modern music. It was like uh, spindles and harpsichords and stuff like you would hear in the 1700s playing. He said he then starts hearing glasses clink and feet shuffling. The strangest thing, though, was the smell of pipe tobacco that was seeping through the cracks of the window casings. When he looked inside, he said everything stopped. He said the tavern was completely empty except from painting equipment that was left there from Colonial Wadenburg. He said he was scared to tell his story for the fear that people would think that he was going crazy. Mm -hmm. So when he heard about Samuel Armistead's experience, he said he felt relieved. And he didn't hear about Samuel's experience until he had told his story. So then somebody, there was a gentleman who was doing an article. And when when he told the story, he's like, you know, this happened to Samuel Armistead back in the 1800s. And he had no clue. Wow. So it's All these the, years later, it's yeah, crazy. Almost the exact same thing. Nice. So had some fun times had there. They went and done partying, I guess. Yeah. And I, and I, I want to go maybe next year to Colonial Williamsburg. We need mm-hmm. to set something up closer because it's close to Virginia Beach and all that. It would be a, Yeah, that'd be nice. I would love to see that. That's the quickest way to get a show out of us is being near a beach. <laughs> <laughs> Haunting and beach. There you go. Sounds good, babe. That was a good story. All right, let's take a quick break from our sponsor, and then we'll come back with some iTunes and uh, some show information, and then we've got the young ladies from 502 Crew. All right. All right, some quick news. Obviously, we've still got the, uh, you heard the commercial beforehand, so we got three shows coming up in October, which is Dallas, Memphis, and Galveston. Still got some tickets available for those. Go to our website, hillbillyhorrorstories.com. Check out all the information. It's going to be a lot of fun. Justin Rimmel will be at Galveston. It's just me and Tracy at the little private dinner show in Memphis. And that one's only got, uh, I think, 18 tickets left for that one. So if you want to be a part of something a little smaller and a little less, um, you know, tons of people around and everything, that's mm-hmm. going to be a little more situation. But uh, Galveston's going to be really cool. That's with Justin Rimmel. And in Dallas, we've got Leslie Fear with that one. Yeah. We've got... About 40 tickets left for the Louisville birthday show. And uh, we keep adding people to that. So that one's going to have Tales from the Dark. They're going to be emceeing and doing some stuff. Then we've got We Drink and We Know Things for Ohio and Us. So you're going to have four shows there that day. It's going to be a blast. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. Hope you guys can come. We technically will probably be the only clean show. <laughs> <laughs> And then, of course, we got Bobby Mackey still, and we've got the crews. All that information's on the website. Go hit that up. Yep. It's coming up on us quick. 
It is. Tracy, what do you got going on over there on Patreon and stuff? Um, our iTunes, we have Mojo Lobster, ZQX75, and Ryan of Mon Valley. Our Patreons is Reggie Forbes and Dana Newman. Thank you guys for your wonderful reviews and your support on Patreon. We appreciate you guys so much. Keep it coming. All right. Thank you, guys. We appreciate that. Let's listen to the 502 crew. Hey, guys, I got some special guests here from my neck of the woods, Louisville, Kentucky. I've got the 502 crew. I've got these three wonderful young women that are paranormal investigators, and I am excited to have them on. I've got Shannon, Stacy, Eva. Thank all of you for coming on tonight. Thank you for having us. So, Shannon, I want to start with you. You reached out and said, hey, uh, uh, we're paranormal investigators and, and, you know, we listen to the show and we would love to come on sometime. And I, I couldn't wait to get you guys on. So I screwed up the first time putting you on because I forgot and scheduled it when I had Tracy uh, out for her birthday at the lake and didn't think about it when I scheduled it. So you guys were nice enough to uh, reschedule for tonight. First, tell me a little bit, Shannon. Tell me about the 502 crew. How long have you guys been a group? How long have you been together? How do you know each other? Well, we know each other, actually. We've known each other for years because our daughters um, all took dance lessons at the same dance studio. So that's how we originally met. Um, I had some personal experiences years ago. I lived in a haunted house and stuff like that, which got me intrigued in it. So there for a little while, I kind of did my own little thing and would go and investigate little places here and there casually. And then finally, one day I just decided, I was like, you know what, I don't want to, I mean, I want to do this a lot more frequently than I am. And I really would like to have my own group. So I just kind of put it out there to see who's really interested in doing this. And, you know, um, obviously the two of them were extremely interested in doing it. And like I said, we've got, um, another uh, girl member um, who had to work tonight, so she couldn't be here. Um, we do have a guy in our group, but he um, he doesn't go to like all investigations. He might be an occasional. So we're pretty much an all girl paranormal group, which isn't all that common. No. Yeah. <laughs> so Eva, let me ask you this. How did, how did the conversation come up of Shannon saying, you know what, I'm really into the paranormal. I want to start a group. Who's in? How did how did you get approached with it? Uh, she kind of put it on Facebook and uh, was kind of like little teasers every now and then. Hey, I think I'm going to start this. Hey. And I was like, okay, me, me, I'll do it. <laughs> Thank you, Rosa, I'm for I'm the in. first one to respond. I'm like, can I, can I do it? <laughs> She's like, yes. Can I be an investigator? She's like, yes. I'm like, yes. So, yeah, so that's how it, it came to be. And then um, we have meetings and that every now and then. Um to kind of discuss what our plan is and what we're going to do. And um, yeah, so that's how I got involved. So what about, what about you, Stacy? What's uh, what was it that made you want to be a part of the group? Well, first of all, I know these two for a long time and I've always had good experiences with them. Um, we've always been friends. Uh, we've done a lot together going on vacations where our kids have danced. Um, but, um, I've actually got in one of my house, uh, experience of uh, something going on. So, um, and I just, I've always been interested in, you know, I've been one of those people that's never been afraid of, you know, scary movies and stuff. And they're like, Oh, aren't you scared? I'm like, that wasn't scary. You know? So I just, it's always been, I've always wanted to about know about the unknown. So that's what gets me mm -hmm. going on it. We actually just investigated her house. Yes. Um, because she's had so much weird stuff going on at her house. And just some of the evidence we caught, she's definitely got yeah. something at I her mean, house. I mean, as soon as we set up, uh, she's seen a little girl. And as soon as we set up, we have a little boo buddy, a little teddy bear that um, lights up and says things if something gets close to it. And as soon as we, like, put that on the bed and set up things, Everything started going off, flashlights. I mean, it was just yeah. instantaneous. It was turning our flashlights off and on on command, um, all that kind of stuff. We And then we switched rooms, and she has her dad's ashes at her house and stuff. 
and we switched when we went to a different room and then I started using the SB 11 spirit box or whatever. And then her dad actually came through because he was answering relevant questions. You know, we, you know, he was, he said his name, he said what kind of hobbies he was into, you know, relevant stuff started coming across. So. So Sally, what kind of things were you having? Uh, Sally, I read my shirt. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Stacy, what kind of problems were you having in the house that led you to believe that there was something there to begin with? It wasn't really problems. It was just kind of, to me, it wasn't problems at all. It was, it was so exciting. Um, I have recently, I have had, and I was telling them about it. Um, I kept saying to my husband, I was like, are you spraying my perfume? And he's like, no. And I'm like, I keep smelling my perfume really, really strong. And we would smell it all the way in the kitchen and my bedroom would be in the back room. And it just very, very strong. Like, and I can't tell that it's been gone down or anything, but it just started that. And I'm like, it's never done that before. So then it just stopped right before we were going to investigate. And I asked them a while ago, I said, did you all smell the perfume when we were in there? And they're like, no. Well, again, today I've smelt it stronger. I don't know if it's being sprayed, but I smelt it where I normally can't just walk in a room and smell it. And then their girls, her, you know, their girls have been over at my house quite a few times uh, with my daughter and she always had big parties with dance kids. And, um, they actually experienced one, one time uh, we were going to a movie or something and it was kind of funny because something was going on in the house. I don't know somebody seen something move or something. One of the girls did and all of them come flying out of the house and got in their dance teacher's car. It's just like, what is it? What's going on? It's like, There's something in there. You know, and they were all, it was just really hilarious. You know, it's, it's more of, funny to me because yeah but how many times is she see she keeps seeing a little girl in her house yeah and what's what's interesting about that is the next door neighbor has also seen the same little girl in his house uh it's weird i don't know if it's jumping or something going on from the house next door and comes into my house i don't know but he's seen the same little girl so you know, I don't, and it's just a little girl that I've seen. So I don't know if it's what, what to think about it. Uh, I've kind of asked the uh, people around if there's been anything about the house and there hasn't been. So we were hoping to find out when we went there investigated yeah. the other day to find out, see if, if we could Get maybe possibly determine if it really was a little girl or maybe it was something more demonic possibly. Um you know, but we, we never were able to get, we got the, the girl to turn flashlights and stuff on and but off no and stuff like no that, no. but we never could get a name. We never could get anything out of it or yeah. whatever. We've never so. heard her actually, the little girl, we've heard voices, but we didn't hear her. We heard, wow, come over really good. Yes. You know, we've heard that. But we've never, and it, and this this thing, the reason why it's never bothered me is because it's not been anything like demonic. It's always been like doors opening, um, perfume sprays, uh, music coming on, curtains going being pulled back, uh, stuff like that. Stuff that can't be explained, like wind or something. There wasn't no wind in there, or there wasn't nobody in there in the house that could spray the perfume or anything like that. So. There's really no explanation for it. And we was hoping to get something from it to find out. But mm-hmm. Now, the house I lived in, it, it was a demonic spirit that haunted my house. And how long ago was that? Uh, <clears throat> that probably started in maybe 2004. Okay. Probably is when it started. It started out, you know, I just assumed at first that it was um, a family member, a loved one, something, whatever, you know, I didn't think a whole lot of it. Um, and the the very first thing that ever happened was, um, my son at the time was only like four or five years old and he always wanted to sleep in the bed with me, you know? So he would always come in there and he would always say, mom, you know, I can hear something in my room whispering my name. 
and I'm here I am thinking I'm like oh, you're just making excuses to come down to bed with me I'm like whatever get in bed come on you know um so I just ignored that for a while and then um you know how you can tell I had hardwood floors in my house and everybody has their own set of footsteps yep. you know you can kind of tell the cadence of their walk and this and that and whatever and I'd gotten so used to the same routine every night. I knew exactly, you know, and obviously I know what his voice sounds like, but I, I knew it was his footsteps. And so I was laying in bed with my now ex-husband, but I was laying there and had my eyes closed and I here I hear his footsteps. I'm like, here we go. He's going to come in here and he's going to want to get in bed again. So I laid there and I was like, I'm just going to keep my eyes closed because he would always come up to me with my eyes closed and he would always whisper right in my face and he'd be like, he'd, he would just go, oh, you know, and he'd whisper in my face in his voice. So I just lay there and I was just waiting for it to happen. And sure enough, with my eyes still closed, I heard his voice whisper. Mm. So I immediately opened my eyes and there was nobody there. So I jump out of bed. I go and I run in his bedroom to check on him and he is sound asleep. There's no way it was possibly him. So me still trying to reason it out. I'm thinking I might've just dreamt that, you know, maybe I was half asleep, half awake, or maybe I dreamt the whole thing. I don't know what it was. I was like, I'm just going to go back to bed. I'm going to go back to sleep. And then as soon as I lay down, my ex-husband goes, did you just hear that? And I didn't <laughs> tell him a word. I said, did I just hear what? And he goes, did you just hear Matthew come in here? And whisper, mom, I was like, oh, no, because now we're talking about mimicking and that's not a good sign. No, <laughs> not at all. And that's just uh, one of a ton of things that happened in that house. It got worse and worse and worse and worse. I mean, the things that was just, uh, you know, mimicking his voice. I mean, I actually had this thing mimic his whole entire body one time and, you know, crawl up on me in bed and. I've had, you know, it knocked things off the walls. I've had it put uh, bruises on my ex-husband and, you know, just a ton of stuff. We finally had to have like the house blessed. Did that take care of the problem? It did. Yeah. Was your husband at the time, was he a believer or a non-believer when this stuff happened? He was a believer then. Well, because he witnessed it, you know, I mean, he was there for it. He validated that it happened and everything. And then now, um, you know, he's remarried. And it's funny because now anytime anybody brings it up, all of a sudden he's like, oh, well, I don't know if it really happened that way. You know, like now he's trying to, <laughs> I don't know. Downplay I, it. But I mean, he woke up one day with a normal like man size handprint on his chest and rationalizing. I'm like, maybe you slept on your stomach, you know, slept on your hand, whatever. No big deal. A couple months go by. He wakes up. He's got a child size handprint on his chest. I'm thinking maybe you slept on our son's hand or something or whatever. A couple months roll by. And then all of a sudden, he has a handprint that literally covers his entire torso. The handprint did. Maybe he slept it on did. Bigfoot's hand. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. But we had a we had a thing hanging on our wall from um, when we went to um, Los Angeles. And it was from Grauman's Chinese Theater where you can get your oh, yeah. handprint in the concrete, you know. And so we had that hanging up on our wall and that had been hanging up on our wall for years and we never had a problem. But when he, when he came out of the bathroom that day and the handprint came across his entire chest, I finally, it was just like, we had had so many different things happen, you know, and I kept trying to rationalize things and whatever, but we had so many things happen that I finally went, I was like, all right, what is going on? What are you trying to tell me? what's the message you know i was just like what is going on and as soon as i said that that picture just freaked just fell right off the wall first time it had never fallen off before but a picture of handprints falls off the wall 
while we're sitting here trying to figure out why he gets handprints all over his chest. So. Kind of ironic, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So. What about you, Eva? Have you had any personal experiences or just fascinated by the paranormal? No, I'm just fascinated. No. <laughs> I know, no. But I'm fascinated with, um, you mentioned Bigfoot, crypto types of things or the paranormal. I'm just totally fascinated by it. And um, I joined the group because of that, but I also joined the group because I watch all that stuff on TV. But I know TV and movies are sensationalized. And, you know, is that real? Is that true? Is that all made up? What is it? So uh, our first outing was um, at the Jailer's Inn in Bardstown, Kentucky. Love that and, place. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful room. We had a beautiful room, and uh, it was awesome and everything. But um, we went out to the cemetery, and we used the flashlights again, and we were getting, like, confirmation. The flashlights were turning on and off as we were, like, asking questions and that type of thing. And I was like, no way this can't be i mean this is real like this is really happening and it's not just like we're far away from it you know there's it has to be touched in order for this to happen we're not anywhere close to it and so as the evening progressed and everything it was more and more affirmation of you know this is real this is really and you know so there's something out there there's something more than what we can touch or or see, or or anything like that. That there's either another dimension, or there's something else out there, and how incredibly fascinating that is. So, um, so that's you know that's and a funny story about the jailers in. We were going in the jails. You can actually go in the jails, which I'm sure that you know. Mm-hmm. And so we were doing different investigations in the jails. And so then Shannon said, well, let's go to this next jail. So we go down and (laughs) she's in the front and there's a line of us, you know, and we go and she goes first and I was behind her and she goes in that jail and she goes, and screams and she bolts out and she just falls to the ground. like, what, 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 what? Well, I had to catch my breath. I bent over and I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And they're like, what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong? I guess they do this to make it more real, but they had a life-size like mannequin of yep. a, a man prisoner in there. So it's dark, and you walk in there, and she's like, "Why would somebody do that?" I had to catch my breath. I was, it just was like, hilarious. I was it was like, "Last one going." Oh in. my and they god! Were running out, I'm like, "What is going on?" It was pretty it was, funny. It was funny watching them because <laughs> you know we're out here to see this stuff, and then to be have it come up there and what is special like they were like, they were like, they were like ah! <laughs> well when we were there also had a uh there's like a little underground thing we didn't know you weren't supposed to go down there because actually <laughs> one of the guys when we got there told us how to get down there and he worked there are you talking about the one the tunnel that leads to the courthouse underneath i'm not sure where it it's leads like, to it is, but it's concrete up yeah it's like a cellar yeah, like it's, a it's got a really heavy door on top yep. of it well, he told us how to get down there and he worked there. So obviously you assume you're allowed down there. <laughs> so myself and somebody who's not on our team anymore decide we're going to go down there and we're going to, you know, use flashlights, do some spear box, maybe EVPs, just try some different things or whatever. So we went down there and we shut the door. So it was pitch black in there. And we started getting, uh, we used the spirit box and we started getting these voices come through. And we did get this, uh, this lady that came through initially and her name was Ethel. And she ended up, so we, we asked her what happened to her. And so she said, she ended up telling us that she got raped in the spirit box session. So then all of a sudden, this guy named William comes across and we no longer hear anything from him. From Ethel. So I'm like, you know, it's almost like he was just kind of shutting her up or whatever. And so then I just started asking him questions. And I'm just like, did you have something to do with this? Or, you know, why why won't you let Ethel talk and this and that, you know? Um, Stacy said I was kind of provoking, which I don't. That's not how we are. We, yeah. we don't provoke, but I, I wanted to know what this guy's deal was, you know, so I was asking him some questions. And the next thing I know, I got pushed backwards and behind me were these like concrete blocks and stuff. 
And so when I fell backwards, I reached down with my hand to try to catch myself and ended up breaking my finger. So I guess William put me in my place. <laughs> so how long has the crew been together? Oh, when did we start? February. February. Yeah, the group's fairly new. Yeah. Um, yeah, January or February or something like that is when we formally put the group together. Mm -hmm. um, like I said, I, I did investigating prior to that. Um, we didn't have a group name. We didn't have an official group and this and that. We, we did have a certain number of people where we would go around and investigate different places. Like we've, you know, I've investigated Waverly Hills like five or six times. We've gone to Perryville Battlefield, you know, we we did investigations like that, but that's when I finally decided, I was like, you know what, I want my own group. I want an official group and, uh, you know. And we've actually done quite a lot for, for the short, short time, time yeah, that we've done. And it. we've um, got a ton booked up. Like we, we have almost some, every weekend we have in something, August. We've and got we something. got two things next weekend, but we have something even not into September. Well, yeah, our, the, our big thing we're going, going to the is Villisca Axe Murder House, House in September. Yeah, we've got something almost every weekend, mm -hmm. at least up until. Uh, and then we're going to, that. we've been to Whisper Estates up in uh, Indiana. Uh, Indiana, and we just loved it. And um, the owner, Rich, he's really great. And so oh, we like really loved him. So, I'm going to contact him back. Yeah, we're so gonna back. we're going to go back. And we also have a ghost dog. That's all dog. those animal lovers. <laughs> Ruby. Ruby's our ghost dog. Um, and you can see pictures of her on um, on our, our uh, website. Yeah, on our website. But um, dogs and kids are very sensitive to things and perceptive. So not only do we have almost an all-female group, but we also incorporated a pup. So um, and, and it's a girl pup. It's a girl pup. Oh, there you go. <laughs> And, uh, but, uh, she, she did go on an investigation with us when we did the, um, Hopelet. Hopelet Park Ridge. Um, we got quite a lot of stuff and actually we did more. Shannon had been there before and she said she didn't get anything. And this time we got a lot of, uh, activity. So, um, yeah, so, uh, we're anxious. Actually, I think Ruby's going with us to whisper when we go yeah. back. So, we're anxious to try and see uh, what happens with that, how she reacts and, and that type of thing. So Stacy do does all our scheduling and stuff. So she's got like a, a list of all the places mm -hmm. we're getting ready to go. We've well, got, okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. That's what I say. That leads me into my next question. How do you guys pick the places you're investigating? Are these places that you just pick out to do it for, uh, the purpose of, hey, you want to investigate this place? Or do you have people reaching out to you saying, like in, in your situation, with, hey, my, my house is haunted. Can you come take a look at it? Or is it a combination of both? We've had a couple people reach out to us about their house. Um, I've actually put out there on our uh, page, I've, our, I've put out there, hey, if you ever want us to investigate your house, mm, we're happy we to do, do it. it. It's free of charge. We're happy to do it. So, we would like to do that, uh, but so far, uh, other than investigating Stacy's house, so far the majority of the stuff that we've done have been like bigger places, right. you know, and those sorts of things. And they're places that we've, you know, heard of or we've seen, you know, investigations on TV Google or short Google, like yeah. and she'll look. And we we decided that for you know starting out, we were going to try to stay closer to like the Kentucky. Tennessee, Indiana area, you know, or whatever, obviously, except for in Iowa, Iowa in September, that's <laughs> right. a little bit of range and stuff, but then kind of branch out from there and right. then go further and further. But we figured, you know, since we're such a new group that we would start kind of locally or whatever and get as much experience yes. as we can and get you know, more used to get, we'll get everybody more used to all the equipment and stuff like that. Cause so let's, that brings me to my next question. You guys are perfect uh, for answering this. There's a lot of people out there listening. I'm sure that would be like, I'd really like to get into paranormal investigating. Obviously you've got equipment to buy. You've got uh, to learn how to use the equipment. So for a new group, 
tell people if they're listening what they should be focusing on if they want to try to start investigating. What's the easiest way? How do you get your equipment? Uh, just give a, give kind of the blueprint on what you guys did. They can just join us. That's that's the easiest way. <laughs> well, if they're in Nebraska, that might be tough. <laughs> just join our group. I just started um, kind of buying it piece by piece, you know, um, because obviously I'm I'm not uh, sponsored by the Discovery Plus. What so, are the what are the essentials? If you're if somebody is wanting to start, what are the first two or three pieces that they need to have to start off with? I think they should have um, an EVP recorder. I think they should have a spirit box, um, um, a millimeter, an EMF detector. And we have huge success with flashlights that yes. don't cost yes. that daggone much money. No. You know, yeah. I mean, and I, over time, I bought more and more equipment and, you know, each time I get, you know, I get more and more expensive stuff. So, you know, I've got some pretty expensive stuff on my, on my list is to be my next purchases, but I'm, I'm not there yet. <laughs> well, we've got a few, quite a few coming up that, you know, she's got new equipment. We're eager to, you know, you know try, it stuff, out. try it out and everything. Yeah. I got some new equipment from Gary Galka. Okay. Mm-hmm. Do you guys use divining rods at all? We haven't done that yet. No, I'm not opposed to it, but somebody would have to like really, you know, teach me and show me how to do it. I've never, I've never tried it, but I've seen, I've seen people use them before. I actually have a, a friend who's psychic, um, but she lives in Oregon. So um, she was here a couple months ago and visited or whatever, but she is going to go on some investigations with us when she, cause she does, she's retired and does a lot of traveling and stuff. Uh, but obviously she's not going to do every one of them, but so she's, I think she knows how to do all that stuff. Fantastic. How can people find out more about uh, your crew and, and find out what you're up to? Well, well, we have a Facebook page and my daughter who's a genius helped me set up a YouTube channel. So we have our own YouTube channel. Thank you, Courtney. Um, thank you, Courtney. <laughs> and um, so uh, we have those outlets, and I think Shannon uh, also does some, puts it on other um, social media. We have uh, a Facebook, yeah, we have a Facebook page. It's simply named Five Hundred Two Paranormal Crew. Um, we have a Twitter page that's at Five Hundred Two Paranormal, and then we have the YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. Which what did she name it? I think it's just 502 Paranormal Crew. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and we post all our videos, things that we find. Um, we actually, I guess one of the things that we really, that's really cool that we like to talk about is when we were at Whisper Estates up in uh, Indiana, one of our crew members was just randomly taking pictures and it was getting late. We we're all sitting around and he's going through the pictures and he's like, oh my gosh, look. And he showed us and he had captured a um, image of a face from the front porch. So we all ran outside and looked at the front porch and we're like, oh my gosh. And to try to see if there's any flower pots or to anything. Try to debunk it. Make right. sure it wasn't like matrixing or something. Right. You know, and there's nothing to... there that reflects or that could be misconstrued as a face or anything. So yeah. um, that was really cool. Uh, so we put things like that and videos that we take um, on the YouTube channel and, um, and the Facebook, Facebook page. Yeah. yeah. And we're always looking for people who want to join us on our adventures. Um, so, yeah. And they can message us too. They can go message yeah. us if they don't want to get on our group, you know, just personally message us and we will respond to them. But we're looking forward to having new people to contact yes. us. Yeah, I mean, then they don't have to go on every investigation mm -mm. with us, you know, but if they're ever interested, all they have to do is yeah, message message me, you know, do they go to the 502 Paranormal Crew page and just shoot yeah. me a message, you know, and just let me know and, and, and maybe we'll, we'll be able to fit them in because we have some investigations like Perryville that we're going to soon where we have obviously a lot of room for a lot more people right. whereas opposed to us going to the Bliska axe murder house i've heard how small, small. that place yeah. is 
you're not going to take 15 people with you. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't want that anyway. I've been on investigations before. I think my very first investigation of Waverly, I learned my lesson immediately because they had way too many people there. It, it wasn't just our group. I never do that anymore. When I go on an investigation, it is our group. Us. It is only our group. But I went on, it was my group and it was another group. And this other group was really not that interested in investigating. They were making it a lot of noise. Mm -hmm. They were just being rambunctious. There was absolutely no way you were ever going to catch yeah. an EVP. Nothing. And so I learned my lesson. So after that one time, never again. And to that end, we are learning <laughs> as we go. Uh, we're structuring. We actually drew up some bylaws. We have a mission statement uh, that basically says that we don't do that. You know, we take uh, reverence and respect for all the members in our group. Uh, those that come along with this, uh, we also uh, extend that to the owners of the property, the caretakers of the property, and any uh, souls that remain there. Uh, we, like she said, we don't. Uh, Shane said we don't provoke. Um, we uh, always say, you know, we're here to tell your story. Help us to tell your story. Here's your chance. Um, and so we approach every investigation in that way. Uh, not in a rowdy, disrespectful way. And I think that uh, speaks to our group and what we're about. Um, yeah, and we actually had the guy who owns Whispers Estates, um, he was talking to us and he was telling us that, you know, um, there's another group locally or whatever that he he actually wants to uh pair up with us mm -hmm. and do was it the missouri missouri uh, state prison yeah. missouri penitentiary. state penitentiary yeah mm -hmm. he wants us to to join his group because he needs a few more people he doesn't have enough people to j kind of justify the price of it or whatever but he said that he had just recently had a another local paranormal group um, they had come there to investigate and he said there's there he goes these people are not in it seriously he, he said, said they were just rude and rowdy and just like goofing off and and he's like I didn't know if you guys would be you know what you would be like he said but I can see that you're you know you're not like that you take this seriously you have respect and all that so and we're very very professional about it we're very scientific about mm -hmm. it like I said, we don't just assume every little thing is something, you know, yes, we try to debunk things and, you know, whatever we can do. So, and we've got, we've got quite a few that we went to that was kind of small, like the Ross Opera House we went to. And then we've got like the Bobby Mackey's that's coming up next weekend. And then we've got, um, the weekend after that, uh, we are going to actually go to, uh, no, it's not the weekend, that's a cemetery, I never thought. Yeah. But the cemetery is the same weekend yeah. as Bobby Mike. Yeah. And then we're going to go to, like, uh, us three right here are going to the Maple Hill Manor out mm -hmm. by Prairieville. We've been kind of keeping our investigations to the limit, like, about six people, five or six people, because we get more that way. We, I mean, yeah. you know, of course, if it's bigger like Prairieville, then we do want more because we might get a better, you know, send some of the group that way and us this right. way. We get more, you know, than meet back. But with these smaller houses, I think the smaller, you know, five, six people is enough, you know, mm -hmm. because then you got, you got to worry about the noise and, you know, and then the, you know, somebody might not be serious about it if we it's not a member of our group. Uh, you know, we just we we do find spots open. We had it. We're struggling yeah. to get everybody on it to try to keep the cost down and help everybody. Well, and everything. people are busy. You know, everybody has yeah, jobs. Get everybody. Everybody has families. Everybody has obligations and that. So uh, that's in part why we want to grow our group um, because not everybody can go every time. And, and we um, can pull them in and then have like say like most us three has been on all of them yeah but we like got the other two members that like at work or you know like tonight and dan who, who was our bait as we call him <laughs> uh, he, he went with whispers with us and uh it was it was kind of funny because we went into the 
uh, what's the name of it? The Oculus. The Oculus, Oculus room. But he stayed down in where the bathtub was, and he climbs it. You got to know Dan. He's huge, okay? He's a big guy. <laughs> and he gets across this bathtub and sits down there and like to try to see what would happen. And we're up there having a good old time, you know. We're doing the eggs in here. And he's like, that's what y'all were doing up there while I'm down here by myself. <laughs> so it was kind of, yeah. we our beds. That's another thing is that we always have an element of fun. It's yeah. not all serious. We like to joke around and laugh and well, enjoy we, ourselves. So. We, we investigate for a good while. And then, then we take a small little break and we do something goofy or, yeah. we'll or whatever. While we're investigating. And then we go back and then we investigate again until we just can't keep our eyes open any longer. Yeah. <laughs> Well, ladies, it's been an absolute blast having you on. Maybe we can hook up with you at some point in time and go on one of these investigations with you. I'd love to go back to the Whispers house. Or I said back, I've never been there, but oh, I'd really? love, oh, I'd love to go to the Whispers house. So. Sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us on. Yes. And you are more than welcome to go on these investigations with us. Oh, so yes. just contact just, us. Just contact mm-hmm. us. Let us know. Like, like she said, we're definitely going back to Whispers. Oh, yes. I don't know the date that we're going back. We're going to make it but, soon, though. So if you're interested, if you, yeah, you just let us we'll, know. We'll let you know when it is. And you just come up, tag along because we, we have a lot of experience there. That's awesome. fun. Yeah. Thank you all so much. And I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Jerry. Thank, Thank you. you have a great day. Bye. Bye. Well, that wraps up this show. Thank you guys for everything you do for us. Yeah, you guys have a blessed 4th of July and have a blessed week. Thank you.